0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Thursday, August 11th. Today is the first day of the ACE ethanol conference over in Omaha, Nebraska. AOA is proud to be a partner with ACE on this event. Over the next two days, we are going to be bringing you conversations about the ethanol industry. And the theme of this year's conference is intensity, both because that's the level of attention that the ethanol industry has received here over the last two years, it is intense, but also because the industry is working to reduce reduce those carbon intensity scores and I'm sure we'll be talking about those statistics and figures over the next couple of days today we are going to be talking here in just a moment with Bill Cowser of the Cowser Cattle Company on the board of Lincoln Way Energy and then in segment two we're going to talk sequestration Ron Alverson is a South Dakota corn grower partnered with Dakota e- ethanol and he's been working on this for quite some time in segment three Arlen Suderman chief commodities economist with Stonex will join the show we are seeing a rally in the grain markets today. Had Some inflation data out this morning arlen will give his insight on that and we're going to close with mark heckman of eco engineers to talk about the way that the requirements to get these projects done continues to change so thanks for tuning in today folks boy it is exciting to be taking a look at ethanol here in 2022 bill Kauser has been keeping track of the ethanol industry for some years bill how
2: long have you been involved in the
0: ethanol industry
2: Well, we started raising funds for our plant in 2004 so you might say uh we started we were in the beginning we're some of the founders that that have actually you know gone forward and and you know we actually started ironable fuels and, and different things along the way so yes it's it's been quite a ride lincoln way energy 20
0: almost 20 some years you've been in production talk to us a little bit about where it's located and what the market has been for the products coming out of lincoln way
2: Well, you know, when this all first started, there were three of us sitting around a table saying that we thought we needed to build an ethanol plant because on a mainline UP, all our grain was leaving our community. And so we surrounded ourselves with the people that that we thought could um, do this as many other communities did in Iowa. And, you know, a year later, all of a sudden we're grinding all the corn that's produced in our community, in our county. And so when we look at that, Um, Now, all of a sudden, all those dollars are staying in our community, you know, whether it's fire protection, roads, taxes, uh, whatever employees, uh, you know, good, good employees uh, that work there. And um, uh, it's just, it's just been a whole turnaround for our community.
0: It has, It it's happened relatively quickly in, in the sense of building an industry, but it's happened, and in fact, ethanol has been built up, and then it's corrected, and now it's building back up again. Bill, where do you see us in the ethanol cycle right now from your seat as a corn producer and an ethanol producer?
2: Well, we've got to remember in 2004 when the RFS first started, uh, it was a boom time. I mean, you know, you couldn't print money fast enough. And then we went through the cycles. It's just about identifies to the cattle industry. We have these peaks and valleys, and we went through a valley for, you know, five or six years and now all of a sudden, we're coming back up. Well, these ethanol plants have matured. They've all added gallons. They've all understood how this market works. We've been able to take more pieces of that kernel and you put them into other um, co-products or byproducts that come in the industry. So now all of a sudden, we're a multi-generational ethanol plant that has grown in gallons and also diversified in using that kernel. And that's what's so exciting. As I've been talking to folks here at the conference so far,
0: it seems everybody is enthusiastic about those new ways to devise the kernel bill. I'm sure you've been keeping track of these developments. Which ones do you think have the most potential to you in Nevada,
2: Iowa? Well, when we look at us right now, carbon sequestration is probably the biggest thing in our, in our, in our boardroom as we talk. Because right now, Lincoln Way does supply uh, CO2 to Burke Marketing in Nevada, Iowa for fast freezing. We also supply CO2 to the Des Moines Waterworks in Des Moines, Iowa. So we look at ways that we're utilizing our CO2, but we're not sequestrating it. We're actually just releasing it in a different spot. So I think um, the challenge we have today is how do we invest in CO2 to find out uses for that Uh, in the meantime we'll build the pipeline we'll get it sequestered but i think technology is going to bring this commodity that could be so vital in 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 an income stream for a community and also for the environmental reasons that um, it's going to come sooner than later we'll we'll find those answers
0: we'll find them they're coming and bill you know you deal with the ethanol industry from a couple of different angles. I mentioned your corn grower as well. Why don't you give us a crop update? How do things look out there north in Nevada, Iowa?
2: Oh, I tell you what, uh, you know, I had a conversation with Tim, my son uh, this morning or yesterday morning, and he's really excited. Um, you know, he says, dad, we're a little dry, but but we're really good. We've been catching those half inch, one inch rains in Story County. And, and you know, after just doing rag brai and, and, you know, being able to look at your state at 10 mile an hour clear across the top, you see the variation in the corn crop. And there's places that these communities are are hurting for rain and for subsoil, or else they're sandy soils and and the crops are starting to deteriorate a little bit. But uh, Story County is in a garden spot right now. probably the best we've ever looked. And um, I just hope all the rest of the state can get some showers here as we go along.
0: Absolutely, a lot of folks watching those skies over the next couple of weeks to see yep. if they can get a little bit of a shower. Bill, the cattle side, you've also got that angle going on. Cattle feeding has been a tough, tough business for the past two years. How are you feeling about where cattle feeding and, and the, the direction of the fat cattle market's looking forward?
2: You know, I can honestly say this isn't my first rodeo and uh, for doing this for 50 years, it hasn't changed a bit. It's just like uh, the hills in Missouri. You know, you know, get over the top of that hill. What's on the other side? A valley and another hill. And so, you know, those of us that are seasoned in this stream, and, and I truly feel we're kind of a dying breed, the farmer feeder out there. This has been a, a different go around because of the inversion of the market. We look at what everybody's thinking's going to happen in 2023. And they're kind of counting on those and throwing their bets on that side of the table. And I just want to throw a a word of caution to everyone that this is a really um, interesting but challenging time and could be dangerous time in the livestock industry. We've got to keep our I's dotted and our T's crossed. When you say dangerous time, Bill, you're worried about just a a potential drop in the market pricing? Well, I'm concerned about feeders uh, today being high priced, which they should be. I mean, I'm all about the whole industry making money uh, at the same given time. But today, um, it's just one of those times that we need to be using all the tools in those toolbox, make sure that our feedlots are up to snuff, make sure all our people are BQA certified and make sure that every animal that gets to that plate is absolutely the best meal they'll ever have. That is a great
0: point. If you want them coming back, you gotta treat them right when that beef is in their mouth. Bill, DDG's back to the subject of ethanol. How's pricing been this past year? Competitive still?
2: As far as DDGs? Yeah. yeah. DDGs is one of those inclusions in our ration. We use what they call a least cost ration. So right now, our ration is probably 45% distiller's grains. And so you know we are not gonna have five pound a day gains, but when we look at the inclusion rates and the least cost rationing, it's, a lot of, it's actually a ration we can compete with the feedlots in the South. Oh. so it works really well today
0: that's pretty exciting i oh, love to be competitive don't you especially in these these uh wacky commodity price environments that we're in right now bill cowser looking out to the future we got a couple seconds left here any final thoughts for the industry the ethanol producers folks as they look out to the end of
2: 22. well i'm i'm pessimistically optimistic that uh, we will get this pipeline built uh, it's going to benefit our consumers, it's gonna benefit the, the customers, and it's gonna benefit the world. And I truly think that, that long-term, uh, we're just gonna get better at what we do, we have to.
0: That's what it's all about, always improving Bill Kowser, Kowser Cattle Company, board member at Lincoln Way Energy, one of the leaders in the ethanol industry. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And stick around, folks, we're gonna check in with Ron Alverson when AOA returns, and then it's time for Arlen Suderman here on the show. Stick around, more AOA coming up after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. On the first Wednesday of every month, the National Corn Growers brings us the monthly grind here on AOA, looking at aspects of corn demand. In August, we talked about the partnership between corn and cattle with Kate Maher of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association
3: we are really fortunate to have a great partnership with uh, the national corn growers association we work together to bring a lot of information to producers latest technology information to make all of us better and and keep that demand keep that product flowing to meet that demand that's that's around the globe you know we export a lot of corn through beef Um, that's really important Uh, we are fortunate again to partner partner with ncga on a series that we've been doing on cattlemen to cattlemen Uh, we've just got such a great story to tell together started at the seed yard in Nebraska talking about sustainability practices and in corn production and beef production, and they just go hand in hand. That goes on to the next next step, um, where we're producing that really amazing grain-fed beef.
0: Tune in on Wednesday, September 7th for the next edition of the Monthly Grind from our friends at the National Corn Growers Association.
4: The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
0: Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and rangers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
3: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
5: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA on this Wednesday. As I mentioned, we are in Omaha. We are at the ACE Ethanol Conference. This is the 31st. Fifth conference that ACE has been putting on. Hard to believe the ethanol industry has been growing for 35 years, but here we are. And one of the ways it continues to grow is by innovating and finding new ways to meet demand from consumers around the country. And one of those demands lately has been a reduction in the carbon intensity of corn. It ties into the theme of this year's conference, which is intensity. And ACE had come up with a tool recently to help farmers better track their carbon intensity. Joining me to talk about it is Ron Alverson, Dakota ethanol founder South Dakota corn growers. Ron, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's talk a little bit about this carbon intensity
6: calculator. Ace has Mm -hmm. it up on their website. Ron, who's it for? It's for any ethanol plant or any actual corn producer that wants to know, you know, what's the best way that I can reduce my carbon intensity. You can go up and down the list of all the the emission points that we that occur when we produce a crop. And then manufacture that that corn at an ethanol plant and kind of look at look at all those points and look at the of the magnitude and look and then kind of explore the opportunities of well if we do this and this and this how can we reduce that so
0: and it's interesting you mentioned explore the opportunities what yeah. happens if we make these changes ron i, I want to talk to you about those opportunities because when we think about corn carbon mm-hmm. intensity you know mm-hmm. the question why should a farmer care is always yeah. hanging there in the front of our minds let's yeah. talk about it from a farmer's perspective first what are the advantages to knowing the carbon intensity of, of my crop
6: um well, you know they're we currently in life cycle and out life cycle analysis is a term that's it's used to describe the uh, greenhouse gas intensity throughout the full life cycle of the production of a product. So, the U.S. Department of Energy has been doing this for years for hundreds of fuels around the around the world. So they come up with a total carbon carbon intensity. It's always expressed in terms of grams of CO2 equivalent greenhouse gas emissions per megajoule of energy. Mm. So it's a lot of of stuff, you know, know, it's a lot of foreign stuff for a lot of folks, right? Well, it's metric, but but just for an example, gasoline has a, has a carbon intensity about 94 grams per megajoule. Diesel fuel has about 96 grams per megajoule. Okay. So corn ethanol, the latest stuff says that using us Midwest average corn production and us Midwest average ethanol production at a plant, we're at about 52. For a, for a dry mill. Interesting.
0: So, so and we're that's about using averages. It is. Yeah. yeah. So that it, has US substantial averages. room to come down exactly. in that carbon intensity front.
6: Yeah. And we've got these markets in, on the West Coast in California and Oregon and Washington now that pay premiums for stuff that if we can beat that Midwest average, we get a premium for it. Or actually, all we have to do is beat gasoline out there and we get paid a premium for our ethanol out there.
0: Interesting. So it
6: spurred all this innovation in ethanol plants to reduce the carbon intensity and the ways they do that, they reduce their natural gas use with more efficiency, you reduce electrical energy use, re- increase the yield of ethanol per, gal- per bushel of corn. So all these techniques that they can use and it's really caused tremendous innovation within the ethanol plant the ethanol that is being sold into markets like california or those west coast low carbon markets yeah. how much
0: of a premium is there versus conventional ethanol that that you might find throughout the midwest
6: it's common to see uh 10 to you know say 5 to 10 cent or 15 cent per gallon premium in those markets and that's enough of an incentive for these plants to really put some money into
0: modernizing
6: and finding ways to better address yeah. this carbon issue it makes it so much more economical to to do these uh, energy efficient innovations so yeah so on the carbon intensity side you mentioned
0: the one way of course what's coming off the farmer's field mm-hmm. moving into the ethanol plant impacts the carbon intensity score mm-hmm. then there's the backside, which is making ethanol just create co2 as we talked about with bill Cowser here a minute yeah. ago yeah. so then the question is what do we do with that co2 and we're hearing more yeah. and more about sequestration ron taking yeah. that co2 and sticking it somewhere yeah. what are some of the the best options right now for sequestration
6: you know if you have an ethanol plant is sitting over what they call what the guys call good rock and rock is that what absorbs this these good formations this is literally with, with li-
0: limestone
6: or or geologic rocks yeah. under the surface it there. is and it has to be defined by a, or capped with a in with a rock that won't let it escape okay so and that's that's the description of an oil well oil formation those all those oil formations have a cap rock that have prevented that oil from seeping out and dispersing in that formation for millennium. Yeah, you know. So,
0: so the idea so is these we've, old... we've pumped out a lot of this crude oil. So now we've yeah. got these caverns underground that have held carbon locked and down it tightly for Forever. millions and millions of years. Yeah. So let's just take the carbon that's coming out of these ethanol plants and yeah. stick it right back yeah. down in the hole.
6: Yeah, you know, an in ethanol industry is just uniquely situated for that because we got this free this really pure and clean stream of co2 coming off all our fermentation tanks there's just currently vetted back to the atmosphere okay so we can just grab that stuff and compress it and put it in a pipeline and send it to these formations or if you're lucky enough to have rock right underneath your footprint you can just drill a well right outside your ethanol plant and pump it down there and store it so
0: but of course, we don't have a lot of good rock. I know the state of no. Iowa doesn't have much no. to speak of for storing yeah. this kind of thing. So you touched on the next step, Ron, yeah. which is pipelines. We got to move yeah. this stuff from one place yeah. to another. And it seems like that's where the industry is right now. We're exploring those pipelines, mm-hmm. getting the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Where do you see that going from here? Is, is this
6: is this movement to put carbon in pipelines here to stay? I sure think so. You know, what really triggered all this stuff, Mike, is about, I think, two or three years ago, they created what uh, what's referred to as a 45Q federal tax credit. So that means that for every, every ton of CO2 that we can sequester someplace and prove that it's sequestered, we can get $50 tax credit per ton of CO2. That's for an ethanol plant. Now, if we use it for an enhanced oil recovery, then the payment is $30 per ton. CO two because it isn't quite as as And that's where are using the CO
0: two to pump it into the ground to help pump oil out. Exactly.
6: Okay. Yeah, and there's a little loss in that system. You know, eventually they cap that when the oil is completely gone, then they fill that cavern up with CO two. Okay. That they've been using to for enhanced oil recovery. So it's not quite as effective as grabbing the pure stuff and sticking it down off an ethanol plant. Interesting. So but I'm I'm thinking, you know, I think the opportunity or I think we'll get it done mike there's just so, so much talk about it and this need to mitigate climate change or mitigate atmospheric co2 that it's getting pushed from or support from a lot of folks a lot of science Guys, you know and all this stuff yeah. that
0: politicians certainly yeah. talking about it almost yeah. non-stop yeah. ron and i think the question i get from growers it's okay so we're going to put it in this pipeline we're going to put this carbon in the ground mm-hmm. how does it benefit iowa corn growers that aren't sitting yeah. right on the pipeline yeah. getting a payment how you know does it come I come back I,
6: to the midwest i tell people it keeps it keeps ethanol in the tank you know consumers are demanding lower carbon fuels either with evs or lower carbon biofuels or any kind of low carbon fuel so I think, you know, there's demand for that kind of a stuff that those uh, greenhouse gas mitigation reduction strategies. So, yeah, uh, yeah you know, and it's it's the big picture, clearly, you know, if you don't if you if you're one of those that really don't believe this climate change is an issue, then you probably poo poo this stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think most of the country is kind of. Saying, and then certainly the scientific community says, we got to do something. So.
0: And I think what makes this environment at least a little bit different from my perspective, again, watching from the outside, is we've got consumers that say climate change is really important. And now it seems like they're willing to back that up with dollars they're willing yeah. to pay a premium for yeah. this low carbon stuff they're willing to mm-hmm. write up a little bit extra i mean whether or not you you believe in you know the climate yeah. change or the outcomes green money is green money you yeah know? You and know, there's and a way to bring that here to the midwest it sounds like
6: yeah you know and it doesn't necessarily mean that fuels are going to be higher priced uh, when you look at the history of the california lcfs have they have as they've transitioned to lower carbon fuels out there uh, when you look at the price of ethanol compared to the price of fossil gasoline, mm. it always sells for a premium. So or, uh, a ethanol always sells for a discount in California. And the net cost to the California consumer for gasoline blended with ethanol is, is, all, has always been a good deal. So you can m- make a very strong case that it doesn't cost the consumer anything in California. Right. at I'll least s- at least for gasoline you know right. because we have this thing called ethanol that we can produce at a lower cost per gallon than fossil fuel gasoline
0: Blend it right in there. I was talking to Susan Littlefield, farm broadcaster from KVR, and she was out in California. She said E85 was a little over two bucks a gallon cheaper. And the place she was, that uh, convenience store owner said they pumped 1,500 gallons a day because the demand was so (laughs) strong with such a great discount. Ron, thank you so much for talking to us today. Really appreciate it. You'll be moderating a panel tomorrow. Looking forward to learning more about carbon sequestration. Great to be with you, Mike. Thank you. And folks, stick around. We're gonna talk with Arlen Suderman of Stonex when AOA returns.
1: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we look at the market trade, we see the grains and oil seeds to the upside still here so far as we work through our trade with soybeans and wheat leading us to the upside, corn up moderately. Livestock trade mostly higher as well. We also see energies and the stock market higher. The Dow up 286 points. Crude oil is up 95 cents a barrel at 92.88 as we work through the trade so far here this morning weekly export sales report not much of a factor here today we did see decent shipments of soybeans and wheat as well as 311,200 metric tons of new crop export sales of soybean meal on the report Brazil's crop agency, Conab, estimating the Brazilian corn crop at 114.7 million metric tons in 21 less than USDA's estimate of 116 million metric tons. The trade gearing up for tomorrow's USDA August WASDE report. That'll be something to watch very closely to see if there are any major changes. We'll also get the updated acreage numbers from the Dakotas and Minnesota. The Labor Department reported producer prices fell 0.5% in July lower level than expected here this morning as well. A look at a few numbers in the trade: September quarter up five and a half, six twenty-six and three quarters. December quarter up four and a quarter, six twenty-two and three quarters. September soybeans up nineteen to three quarters at fifteen twenty-eight and three quarters. November up twenty and three quarters, 1448 and a half Bean meal, bean oil up moderately. Chicago wheat September up sixteen and a half at eight sixteen and a quarter. September KC wheat up sixteen and a half at eight eighty-nine and a quarter. September spring wheat up thirteen and a quarter, nine nineteen and a half. Live cattle for August up sixty-five one thirty. August feeder candle up thirty-one eighty ninety-seven, and August hogs unchanged at one twenty-two twenty-five. That's looking markets. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. One
3: eighty over one eleven, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk.
2: One forty-five over ninety-two, and then I had a heart attack. One
3: hundred and eighty-two over hundred and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest,
7: and then a stroke.
3: Everything changed. It felt like my life was over.
7: This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from
5: invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over
7: 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
5: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA.
0: Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday. And I tell you what, it is quite a Wednesday indeed, seeing a rally in the grain markets and in the livestock markets. Joining us today to talk about it is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex. Arlen, thanks so much for talking to us today.
8: You bet. Good to be back here, Mike.
0: Let's talk soybeans right off the bat. Another big day moving higher. Arlen, anything change in the soybean market, or we've just got traders expecting lower production here on tomorrow's report?
8: Well, I think it's related to weather. There's concerns. The funds love to trade soybeans, and they love to trade soybeans from the long side or, or own soybeans versus being short or sold. And so when they saw the weather story start to develop, even though it showed up most in the corn ratings on Monday, they th- They'd rationalize it by saying, well, if it hurt corn, then it's going to hurt soybeans more because it's August, and August is when soybeans are vulnerable, uh, and so, therefore, they're buying the soybeans. I don't sense a lot of conviction in it yet. We've got to take out yesterday's high. Yesterday, we saw a big collapse in the market coming some 50 cents off of the highs, uh, actually more than 50 cents off of the highs during the session just on technical selling. So while producers may like this green on the screen they see right now, I just don't sense a conviction there yet to really be able to sustain this rally. Uh, We'll have to see how it unfolds. I think they're going to need to see more hard proof that we've actually hurt the crop over the next several weeks. I don't expect USDA to give that to us tomorrow on the crop report. Um, The next best opportunity for that to happen might be the pro-farmer Midwest crop tour the week of August 22nd uh, if they start seeing reports of low pod counts or only two beans per pod or something like that.
0: Arlen, you mentioned tomorrow's uh, WASD report, World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. We're seeing the trade and all the grains running higher here ahead of this report. Is there widespread expectation that we're going to see this crop shrink, both corn and soybeans?
8: I think there's an expectation that it will shrink. I don't think there's expectation to shrink very much. If there is, then I think the market may be set up for a surprise. Um, we're, this report is basically estimating crop sizes for corn and soybeans as of August 1. And in on August 1, the crops were in pretty good shape overall. I know there are problem areas, but there are problem areas every year. There are also some very good areas of the Midwest that offset that. The crop really started to deteriorate after August 1, and that would be showing up then for the September report. So while the trade is anticipating it, um, that there will be a shrinkage, I don't think they're expecting a big decline in yield, or if they are, they're really setting themselves up for some disappointment, in my opinion.
0: Arlo what do you see developing on the corn side of the report tomorrow? Same story, no major adjustments?
8: Yeah, same story. If there's a surprise, I think it might be on the acreage side. I'm hearing very little talk about USDA's resurvey of Minnesota and the Dakotas, and I'm conservatively looking for a 450,000 acre decline in planted corn acres in this report. I think it could be as much as twice that that matters this year normally that wouldn't matter too much but that really matters this year with the balance sheet being tight and then the other area to look for on the corn balance sheet is Europe Europe's been going through a tremendous drought this summer And they also saw some lower fertilizer application rates. So just from the weather alone, we would anticipate about a 15% decline in yield or more. With the fertilizer rates added onto there, my contacts in Europe are telling me we could see a decline of 30% in the size of the crop. So that's a lot of potential corn lost. What will the final number be? I don't know, but I would anticipate that USDA will start reducing the size of the Europe crop in tomorrow's report and maybe conservatively and then maybe get more aggressive in the September and October reports. The end result of that is I expect it to feed more wheat, which tightens up the wheat balance sheet, and import more corn and grain sorghum. And I think that'll be particularly beneficial to the U.S. grain sorghum market in the Plains
0: arlen uh thinking about that european drought and dryness how much in a given year regular year average weather year how much american corn actually goes into europe and how much of that is a result of trade restrictions i guess how fungible is corn between the u.s and europe could we see big advances in exports to that area later on this year
8: yeah europe really doesn't like to import u.s corn because of their uh, stance on gmo technology they prefer to import corn from Ukraine Uh, on you know but Ukraine corn is very limited in its supply and being able to export now because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine Uh, so that becomes a challenge for them and that's one reason that I think we'll we'll see a lot more grain sorghum and that still tightens up the US feed supply situation if they do that and I think they'll feed more wheat as well trying to fill that deficit grain sorghum is, you know, primarily grown in U.S. Plains. A lot of it goes into ethanol and into livestock feed. If you start pulling that supply, then that increases use of U.S. corn to fill some of that deficit in that area. Unfortunately, U.S. corn crop in the Plains is also very tight this year. So we're really looking at a feed grain deficit in the Plains states, and that's going to be trying to move grain from east to west across the Ag Belt as we go through the next year.
0: Boy, yeah, that east to west struggle, we've seen it in years past. It's going to be there again this year. Arlen, thinking about export demand uh, currently, as we sit here in the summer of 22, what did we learn this morning from the export sales report?
8: Uh, pretty routine uh, a little bit of pickup from what we've seen in past weeks but nothing overly impressive overall we have seen a pickup in new crop sales uh, new crop sales are strong for soybeans and they're solid enough for corn um, but uh, basically nothing to really impress the trade I think that'll probably come down the road uh, right now we're seeing a lot of that business go to to Brazil and Argentina Uh, we should start seeing strengthening U.S. demand as we get closer to the winter.
0: Arlen, look at the broader market with me, if you would, for a little bit. We had some some key inflation data recently. Another report out today, producer prices down in the month of July, uh, largely on the back of energy. Energy matters so much in this context. Do you think this crude oil price is going to stay here at this $90 level for the time being?
8: I am very worried about um, what we may be doing inflation. There's euphoria on Wall Street now. The inflation is behind us. And as you indicated, it wasn't just energy, but it was a lot of the commodities that helped pull that producer price index into a deflationary mode in July. And I see that as temporary. We really saw the funds getting behind the commodity sector, and they had their own supply uh, risk situation that they were trading uh, through the spring. But also... Uh, trading it as a hedge against inflation until mid-June. It was about the 17th of June or so that they really became worried about recession and so they started dumping the commodities uh, and the commodity prices started to tumble right on through July. Uh, and not really reflecting the supply and demand fundamentals so much. And the question is, when will they come back? And the, the key to watch is going to be Europe, gas and energy prices. Why Europe? Well, first of all, Europe's struggling because of the Ukraine situation and, and Russia cutting supplies of natural gas and are trying to wean themselves off of of Russian energy supplies but right now fertilizer production's only running at about 60% of capacity in plants in Europe. Europe is a major producer of fertilizer and of ag chemicals needed to produce crops in the world. And that's a real problem because natural gas is the key feedstock for that. A lot of industry in Europe is starting to switch from natural gas because of the tight supplies to diesel fuel, which is already tight. Uh so I think as we get into December, January, February, that'll really tell us what's happening in Europe. It'll have a big impact and tell us what's going to happen with inflation over the coming six to nine months. Because I'm really concerned we could see more volatility than what we've seen to this point in the commodities in 2023 if we have a cold winter in Europe.
0: Arlen, the data that we've gotten here, the big picture data, do you think it supports the Federal Reserve continuing to raise interest rates? I mean, even if producer prices were down month to month, they're still 9.8% higher year ago levels. Inflation still with us, isn't it?
8: It is. We've never tamed inflation in the United States without pulling, pushing interest rates above the rate of inflation. Uh, and uh, I just see this right now as an ebb and flow of inflation that real, stays relatively high overall for a while. And so I do think higher interest rates are needed. But keep in mind that the Fed will also be stepping up its shrinking of the balance sheet in September which also will act to raise interest rates on a more natural way and help help do with that job. So I do think they may moderate their pace of increasing the rates because the natural increases will start becoming more of a factor as well as we get into the fourth quarter.
0: Arlen, that quantitative tightening, that uh, reeling in the Fed balance sheet, does that impact commodities directly in any way? Are they buying uh, positions on the board?
8: It, it does have an impact. It's, it provides a lot of strength for the dollar, which impacts the commodities, particularly wheat in, in the in the protein sector. That yeah, we saw that play out yesterday when interest rates went down, the dollar plummeted. Um, but I think longer term, that's still a real challenge with us when we look at the other uh, major economies of the world, and I think that's going to create some more headwinds in the future for us for the commodities, for the stronger dollar overall. Even though it's retracing lower now, I still think it's some more challenges there. But if inflation challenges stay high, that should bring back some commodities. We're already hearing talk about commodities coming back or the funds coming back
0: all right it's always nice to see more buyers in there if you're a seller arlen suderman chief commodities economist with stonex thanks for joining us this week as always
8: thank you mike
0: and folks stick around we're going to talk with mark heckman of eco engineers when aoa returns about the changing requirements to get stuff built under these new regulations stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
3: Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, changes your entire life.
5: So many eye disorders can be treated if caught
3: early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that.
0: Make a plan today to get your eyes checked.
3: Visit BrightFocus.org to learn more.
5: Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite.
3: We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we Light the Night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org.
0: On the first Wednesday of every month, the National Corn Growers brings us the monthly grind here on AOA, looking at the aspects of corn demand. In August, we talked about the partnership between corn and cattle with Kate Maher of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association.
3: We are really fortunate to have a great partnership with the National Corn Growers Association. We work together to bring a lot of information to producers, latest technology information to make all of us better and and keep that demand Keep that product flowing to meet that demand that's, that's around the globe you know we export a lot of corn through beef um, that's really important. Uh, we are fortunate, again, to par- partner with NCGA on a series that we've been doing on Cattlemen to Cattlemen. Uh, we've just got such a great story to tell together. Started at the Seed Yard in Nebraska talking about sustainability practices and, and corn production and beef production, and they just go hand in hand. That goes on to the next, next step um, where we're producing that really amazing grain-fed beef.
0: Tune in on Wednesday, September 7th for the next edition of the Monthly Grind from our friends at the National Corn Growers Association.
3: It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them.
6: If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help.
3: If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight.
0: We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert
3: care and local support, give you tips for living a better life, and share the latest research.
4: Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's.
3: To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better lives together.
0: Welcome back ladies and gentlemen AOA marches on here at the ACE conference in Omaha, Nebraska talking ethanol and today we've been talking a lot really about carbon intensity and why the focus has turned to that here in the ethanol industry? Well, joining me next is Mark Heckman. He is with Eco Engineers, works throughout the ethanol supply chain on those thorny issues, helping manage those regulatory concerns that exist out there. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Before we get into it,
4: let's talk a little bit about Eco Engineers. What do you guys do? We're a team of specialists, um, engineers, um, consultants that help people um, extract more value out of ethanol, uh, biofuels um liquid fuels and also gases so anything renewable we're we're touching uh we're also entering the voluntary spaces um and insets and offset markets interesting
0: squeezing more value out of these products that's the name of the game and that's where it seems like throughout this day that carbon intensity conversation has come up because there is added value in marketing that product with a lower carbon intensity mark how do you work with folks on the ground to try and lower carbon intensity
4: you know, it's all about energy. It's all carbon is, is really the focus on energy and it's the things that ethanol industry has been focused on. Farmers are focused on that. And so really it's keeping a listening ear to the industry, what the consumer wants, what the consumer is demanding today is um, more sustainable products. And ethanol is that package um, complete. And to drive that value all the way to the farm level is a focus of mine, it's a focus of the industry. And uh, you know, it seemed a few years ago the ethanol industry started, and their focus was on producing ethanol. Um, but we continue to layer on uh, places for improvement, and those improvement is is out there. So, uh, you know, the farmer mentality is to, you know, continue to to give back, um, to continue to extract more and do less. Um, yeah. and so that's that's the focus. Our job at Eco is. Uh, to help people with those solutions, establish the pathways and verify and validate what they're what they're doing.
0: Because that's the key. It's the verification, it's the validation, and it's the models. How do you get the numbers to line up with what the numbers need to line up for to capture that premium? Mark, that has changed a lot here in two or three years. Do you feel like this carbon sequestration uh, space is still in the maturing phase? Are we in the first, second, third inning
4: here of this game? You know, I think we're in the second inning, second, Okay. second to third inning. Um, it's a case where uh, the science is there. It's proven. We've we're getting the exposure. We've had uh, a lot of people creating the awareness. Now we've got to get that awareness down to the grassroots and the ground level to say, why is this a value to me? Mm. Um, you know, at the farmer farm level? Um, How do we do that? How is it a value to the farmer, Mark? Uh, you know, flat out, it's it's about the carbon intensity. And if you if there's practices out here that the farms are incorporating, um, to have it so that as these farms and 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 produ- as we produce this corn or as we produce our crops for biofuels, whatever we're doing, how is it that we can make that step change? How can we take one step to an improvement? And if we do that, how can we quantify that, qualify it, and push it so that hey, because we're producing this fuel, it ties to the bottom line, and it and it says the The incentive is coming from the sale of the fuel and it drives value into the communities. We've got a clean air uh, product, it is low carbon and it's doing everything in a liquid fuel through our liquid fuel distribution system.
0: As of right now, you mentioned that premium, that really the the rebate to the grower for doing this extra work. So far, it seems like it's mainly coming from the West Coast. Over the next couple of years, do you, does eco engineers believe we're going to see more widespread adoption of the kind of low carbon fuel uh, standards like we see in California?
4: Yeah, uh, focus today, um, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act that's just come out, there's all kinds of incentives in there with the focus on CI. Um, no matter what the industry is, how is it that you're going to lower your carbon intensity? Um, You know, the things we do impact climate and we can do this in in a a way that agriculture is that solution. Mm -hmm. And so um, we've modeled um, using the GREET model, uh, Argonne GREET national model has uh, characteristics in there for farm practices and how those drive that value um, in a CI level um, on, on our farm. If we're doing something different from another farm, here's where it is. And the technology that's available now to aggregate that and to make mm. it so that the ethanol plants can now pull this all together in a very quick fashion, um, it's really cool. So that we no longer take the average.
0: That and that's fascinating to me. And so, is the industry there? I'm not on the inside of the ethanol industry. Can we track growers in such a way that we can give premiums out to individual producers?
4: There's a lot of pilot plants, that, pilot projects that are going on, and using you know all the incredible um, computing power that's out here, uh, the ability to pull um, the self-reporting together, and then get the validation and the verification that yep. He he did do that, you know. As we climb in our tractors, or um, as as farmers climb right, in their tractors you farm too, Mark. Yep. I
0: mean, you're on both sides of this. Yeah, and it, you
4: know, we've got the ability to track what we do. We got the ability to to validate it without human intervention. That says, hey, yep, the planter went across and they planted this amount. Here's the amount of nitrogen they use. Um, we have to report that. We've got yields, maps, information, all that stuff is is pretty well real time, and to get that so that it transfers in a usable format, we're not too far away. And those steps are pretty simple. So create the incentive, we're gonna do it. That is pretty cool. And the
0: fact that we've got dollars coming back to growers to make these changes is, is what makes this huge. You don't have to believe in climate change or you know the world ending in 10 years. It's, do you want this money or not? There are options yeah. out there, Mark, and that's pretty exciting.
4: Yeah. Today, it's not there, right? I mean, California is not allowing for the farm practices to drive through. They are uh, accepting the pathways for um, sequestration. Um, all of the things that, that uh, you know, for years, we've pulled this crude oil out of the ground. Um, and with that came the carbon, right? Yep. So now we've got that ability to push it back down in the ground. And get paid, paid for it, and get paid for it, hopefully down the line. Mark Heckman, Eco
0: Engineers. thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. It's our pleasure. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll be back here at the ACE Conference for one more day. We're going to talk to, well, Clear Flame Engines. Look at the next generation in ethanol. So much happening here, folks. Thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to talking to you tomorrow here again on AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
4: Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other
3: safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration.
6: The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately eight million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit savebythescan.org. It could save your life. Savebythescan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council.